Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a returning guest, Dr. Christopher Estes. He's the co-founder of Miami Beach Comprehensive Wellness Center. They help a lot of patients with a lot of different illnesses, but I wanted to focus on cancer this time uh, because in our last conversation, Dr. Estes alluded to some innovative cancer treatments that they're they're using. So I wanted to focus on that because I know cancer affects untold millions of people, including myself in the past. So welcome, Chris. Thanks for coming back. Thanks so much for having me. It's wonderful to be back. Well, good. Tell me a bit about, you know, for listeners that haven't heard, maybe this is the first episode, tell me a bit about your background and how you and your wife started the center, and then we'll get into uh, cancer treatments. Sure. So, you know, I'm a board-certified OBGYN, and I spent most of my career in tertiary care academic centers, seeing patients on a good referral basis. So I was used to dealing with patients with significant medical complications, multiple medical problems, you know, and they were referred to us for care for that reason. And, you know, I, I basically what I was seeing is patients going around them, what I like to call the medical merry-go-round. I'm going from one specialty to the next and they'd get a new diagnosis, maybe a new pill to take or a surgery or fancy procedure. And I found like a lot of them didn't get better. So I, I, I felt like there must be a better way. Now, my wife, Emily, you know, Dr. Emily Rope, she, oh, she went into internal medicine when she first graduated medical school. But then, you know, she, like I always say, she she wised up early and she went back to school and then got her master's in Chinese medicine and acupuncture. She's been practicing that since shortly, you know, when she quit her residency. But, you know, so I always was a believer in integrated medicine, and you know, using other modalities to help treat people. But it wasn't until, you know, pretty far into my career that I realized, you know, that there must be more to this. And then our own personal health experiences with um, environmental toxicity with mold, and then my wife's experience with heart cancer and Lyme disease and other infections really is what spurred us into this. And I began to understand, you know, about seven, eight years ago that really had to search for the source cause of what's causing people to address that in order to help them get better. And then it did wellness. So Emily and I, you know, we have our clinic is the Miami Beach Comprehensive Wellness Center where we integrate, you know, cutting edge functional medicine techniques along with ancient healing practices like acupuncture, Chinese herbs, and other healing modalities like that in order to help people attain, you know, optimal treatment of any disease they might have as well as for health, wellness, and longevity. And uh, how long have you been running the center and how has your approach changed over the years? Oh, wow, man. That's a great question. So we started this iteration of our professional lives in, in 2017. So it's it's been over six years now that I've been doing this sort of work full time. I was doing functional medicine type things before that. Really, for me, kind of interestingly, of all things, it started with me as an OBGYN treating things like chronic vaginitis, women who had vaginitis that wouldn't get better. And I figured out some tricks to help women with, you know, recurrent yeast and bacterial vaginosis. And retrospectively, I realized in my early in my journey into functional medicine, I realized what I was doing was actually treating their GI tract. Um, so if I was able to correct their gut problems, 
all of their GYN, their GYN issue got better. So it was kind of like almost by accident that I figured that out. Obviously, you know, once I got into the world of functional medicine, it became obvious and I was, I hadn't invented the wheel or anything like that was a known entity to correct dysbiosis. But, you know, in the conventional world, it was, you know, kind of unique. So yeah, but we've been doing this in, in for the last six years or so. And like every, every year we are incorporating a new therapy, you know, whether it's something like we brought on ozone therapies, um, you know, bringing in things like using PRP and stem cells, bringing in things like using peptides and peptide, different kinds of peptide therapies and bioregulator peptides. You know, we started doing IV therapies of various types very early in our practice, but the types and, and sorts of IVs we do and and I know today we're going to talk about cancer. So, I mean, for that, like learning how to do high dose vitamin C IVs, things like that. And I, I mean, really, that's one of the beauties of the practice that we have is that the learning is endless. So every year it feels like we're, we're adding on some sort of new service. And just with every year it goes by, new things come out and more data is, is published. And, you know, we meet new people and learn from different doctors and we just, you know, keep pulling more and more and more into our practice. And that's, to me, the joy of the work we do. Well, let's shift gears to uh, cancer for a bit. So what um, what you know, non-traditional treatments you know, have you guys come up with or are using or testing? Let's talk about those. Sure. So, I mean, you know, when it comes to cancer, it's it's a highly individual disease. You know, of course, the type of tumor and where it started and what stage it's in, all those, you know, kind of thoughts that you usually hear about from the conventional side are important for us so that we can understand, you know, some of the basic mechanisms that are underlying it. But then, you know, I kind of like to dig down into the root causes of why did this individual develop a tumor? And really, it, it breaks down into a couple of categories. And, you know, people have a little bit of each category, no matter what the tumor is. And then by using, you know, different types of lab analysis, we can then design our therapies around that. So let's talk about like the most common cancers first, things like, you know, breast cancer, prostate cancer, endometrial cancers. The, the thing that all of those things have in common is that they're hormone sensitive, right? So people's hormonal systems and their ability to metabolize their hormones are incredibly important in treatment of those cancers as well as, you know, part of the root cause of why they develop, there's an issue with their hormones. So, you know, we do various things to help people detox their hormones the way I like to look at it, because it's not that hormones are bad. We need our hormones, right? But just like everything in the body, hormones have to be metabolized. So if you're not moving the metabolic waste from your hormonal processes out appropriately, you're going to get buildup of less healthy, more inflammatory, more carcinogenic type hormones. And in the case of the cancers I mentioned, like prostate, breast, and mitral, it mostly has to do, of course, with estrogen and testosterone. What about the uh, the cancers that produce hormones? How is it different to treat them versus the ones that don't? Sure, sure, sure. So, I mean, actual tumors of the endocrine system are like, you know, almost like a whole different. But, you know, most of this has to do with identifying the detoxification strategy that's specific to the pathway that's involved. So we use a lot of different supplements and herbs that help support those. And, you know, depending on what we found in their lab work, as far as what their individual levels are, that is kind of what guides our therapies. The other thing I was going to say that, that also undergirds most cancers is some sort of toxic, you know, that toxic exposure could be a wide variety 
of things in this world, we are exposed to just absolute toxic soup. I mean, we walk around and exposed to literally, you know, thousands of different chemicals every day. Um, so there's different analyses that we like to do to look and see people carrying particularly high levels of, you know, things like atrazine or things like, you know, volatile organics or glyphosate. All of these things, you know, affect your body in different ways and one of or mold, mycotoxins and heavy metals, of course. So all of these things can affect your body in different ways. And one of them is carcinogen. So depending on those types of toxic exposures, we can then help people design detox regimens to help basically remove those offending agents from your body. And that could be anything from oral supplementation with things, you know, like to support detox pathways, like, you know, things as simple as like B vitamins and CoQ10, antioxidants, things like resveratrol, green tea extract, and things along those lines, all the way up to ID therapies, you know, including things like chelation. Like we do like chelation in and of itself is not necessarily a direct cancer therapy. However, it's helpful in individuals who have a high burden of metals particularly metals that are associated as a carcinogen, things like arsenic in particular, which was quick question here. How do you even get the proper testing to see if you have metals, parasites, et cetera? You know, I've gotten lab work done and it's like, um, unless you have the right doctor, it's a fight to even get the right tests done. They're like, oh, you don't need that. Oh, you know, how do you get the right ones done? And, And do the big labs even offer them? Like, where do you go? It's so fun. Just yesterday, just a couple of days ago, just a couple of days ago, I have a patient I saw who has recurrent breast cancer with metastasis. And she's been to, you know, numerous doctors in the conventional medical world seeking different opinions. And no one has checked any of her hormone levels. No one. And they're like, you don't need to. You don't need to. It doesn't matter. We're treating it already because we're giving you all these hormone, anti-hormonal things. I was like, well, you know, yeah, you're going to get these things that suppress hormones, but you know, they don't. You can look at things like urinary metabolites of your hormones that are telling you how well you're detoxing them, and like, are your methylation pathways working? And you know, do you need support, you know, to help with actual elimination of whatever remaining hormones you have? And you know, what sort of oxidative stress balance you have. And we can measure that through, you know, different urinary metabolites. So the problem is that a lot of this testing is not really recognized by conventional doctors. They don't, because there's not really drugs that we necessarily treat it. So, you know, it mostly has to do with diet, lifestyle, and supplements and things like that. And, you know, certain types of other IV therapies that we'll do. So you got to go to someone who's, who understands how these things work and then who actually knows how to treat it, because it's not something that is necessarily in the minds of conventional medicine. The other thing, of course, too, is that most of these things are done by boutique labs that don't take insurance. So, you know, you're going to, it's out of pocket expenses. And when you're inside of the conventional oncology system, most docs, most folks are just, they're just going to do the things that they know are covered. So since it's not covered and it's a little bit outside of the box, it's kind of like not exactly in their con. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, 
transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Hmm. What about, um, I read about the phenomena of drug-induced nutrient depletion. You know, like metformin depletes B12. My friend says my wife was on it and she was starting to feel really tired. And I read about it. And then I said, hey, your B12 may be low. So she tells the doctor, the doctor's like, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, thanks buddy. So, so we supplemented with it and she felt better. And then I started reading about it and, you know, not all the drugs, but a lot of them cause this. Do doctors ever look at this or address it? And you really need labs if you're on a particular drug because who knows what it's doing to this level, that level, and how that affects you and, you know, what other consequences it has on you. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, for folks who come to me as like their first time to the functional medicine doctor, you know, I, a lot of the stuff that we do seems unusual. Like you're going to treat, you know, this with like a bunch of vitamins and supplements and you're going to put what kind of vitamins in an IV and put them in my put them into me and it sounds weird like you know i don't aren't drugs better <laughs> you know isn't that more powerful isn't that newer isn't that a good isn't that aren't those better you know so not that i have anything against drugs per se because i certainly still use medications of various types but drugs definitely have toxicities including nutrient depletion which is something to really think about the other thing to, along those lines, and since you bring this up, it's very interesting to think about is a lot of drugs actually interrupt processes in the microbiome. I mean, the most famous, of course, is the antibiotics. You know, everybody knows that antibiotics aren't great for your gut flora, but metformin, for instance, also interrupts the microbiome. So mm. it, it's like, not only is it depleting certain nutrients and it's, you know, some people stresses out their liver and also it's not, not great for your gut. And then once you get you know, any sort of cycle in the GI tract that's not healthy, that the downstream consequences of that are potentially immense. What if every six months you get your microbiome looked at? You know, you get, I don't know, a whole big panel. You look at all your hormones, liver panel, adrenals, kidney, et cetera, all that stuff every six months. Then when you get sick or you get a condition, at least you have a reference to look at and see what's out of whack, you know, especially after you have to take drugs for something, let's say chemo, whatever it may be. And then trying to bring you back to that previous state. That seems like that would be a good personalized way to help someone above and beyond just, you know, now I'm sick, help me. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's whenever I see folks, you know, who come in with a problem, whatever that might be, whether it's a cancer, autoimmune disease, or just, you know, fatigue, whatever. I always tell them, look, I, I, I want to first and foremost, whatever that disease entity you have is, I want to make it go away if possible, keep it in remission as possible. But all the while, my goal is to optimize your wellness and prevent those sort of things from happening again, at least as best we're able. And certainly the laboratory analysis is a big part of that. And that's how that's how I check myself. That's how I check the homework is like, okay, uh, Dr. Chris is going to tell you to go and do all these things. And then we're going to, you know, oh, we're going to do some IVs and ozone therapies and we're going to do, you know, peptides and all this cool stuff. Let's check and see if it's working. So, you know, using things like stool testing, things like, you know, different sorts of inflammatory markers, you know, monitoring nutrients. I mean, and then monitoring the nutrients, some of that's, you know, not only just for efficacy, but for safety. Like, let's make sure that you're Things like your zinc and copper are staying in a good balance. You have a repeat level of vitamins. But yeah, no, I mean, that's how we really tailor 
and monitor the response to our therapies. It's very important. So for cancer, what are particular cancers that you feel like you're getting really good results in defeating? Are you able to essentially help someone go into complete remission or do they have to end up with, let's say, a primary tumor that never goes away, but never worsens? Like, what have you been able to do with various cancers and people? Well, I mean, I've found responses are variable. I mean, we've got pretty good success with most of the patients that come to see us. I mean, I always wish that I had a 100% response rate and that everybody I treated went into 100% remission and, and you know, their tumor never came back. I certainly can't, I can't quite say that, but I feel like a lot of what we're able to do is to improve people's quality of life, improve the chances that the therapies that they're using are actually going to work. And for those who, who came to us, particularly in the early stages of cancer, earlier is always better. But the earlier you are, the better chance we have of being able to keep it at bay. But even in patients with, you know, with more advanced tumors, we've seen people extend their life, you know, well beyond what, what I was rather expecting and, you know, also give them, you know, a better quality of life uh, while they're going along. You know, using the things that we do, always the underlying goal is to just improve people's wellness. But, you know, there's other therapies we do that are directed at actually killing cancer. Some of my favorites are things like high dose vitamin. I've seen amazing results with that. Now, have you heard, have you guys talked about high dose C on your program before? No, I've heard about it, but tell me what, what does the protocol and the levels look like and what does it do? Sure. So if anyone, you know, in the listening in your audience or, you know, other folks have talked about doing IV vitamin C, like for immune support, for wellness, for helping with, you know, maybe chronic pain, for helping with recovery after surgical procedure or something like that. The typical doses of, or like the famous Myers cocktail, you know, those type or the, the typical IV vitamin C you might get at like a vitamin IV service, or, you know, they have a lot of places that do these things now. You know, the, the dose of vitamin C you're going to get is usually going to be somewhere between five to perhaps 10 grams. So 5,000 to 10,000 milligrams. And at those doses, vitamin C is an antioxidant. So it actually helps to, you know, scavenge free radicals. It's also a building block of collagen. So it helps with healing from injuries. It supports the immune system. It's, you know, it helps support antiviral mechanisms. So, you know, it's kind of like very nourishing and supportive. Now, a very interesting thing happens with vitamin C, the higher and higher and higher you push the dose. So once you get up above doses around 20 to 25 grams, so we're talking 20 to 25,000 milligrams of vitamin C in the IV, not oral. This has to be in the IV to get, to get enough tissue concentrations to work. Once you start to get up that high, something switches inside of your cells. And it's known as the Fenton reaction. And what this does is that the vitamin C, the ascorbic acid, actually gets processed into hydrogen peroxide. And hydrogen peroxide is actually an oxidative stress to cells. So vitamin C switches from being an antioxidant to a pro-oxidant. It's fascinating, right? So what we'll do is we'll get those doses up high enough so that you actually get oxidation from the vitamin C. Now, the trick is that normal cells have something in them called catalase. Catalase is an enzyme. Enzymes react to various chemical processes all over the body. And catalase takes hydrogen peroxide and breaks it down into water and oxygen. So if anybody fans of chemistry out there, remember hydrogen peroxide's chemical formula is H2O2. So basically it breaks it down into H2O plus a free oxygen molecule which then joins up with another oxygen molecule and becomes O2. 
So if you have healthy cells, give them a high dose of vitamin C, what they get basically is water and oxygen. But most cancer cells lack catalase. So since they don't have catalase, they basically get hydrogen peroxide. And the hydrogen peroxide causes lysis of those cells. So basically those cells are destroyed. So it nourishes healthy cells and it destroys cancerous cells. If you couple it with you know, ozone therapy or if you're using um, you know, peroxide somehow as well, if you're up at, you know, like what if you introduce the high dose vitamin C in a higher peroxide environment, well, what would that do? You, you can rotate it with other oxidative therapies. Now, some people will use IV hydrogen peroxide. I don't use it in my practice. Just I don't, since the mechanism is basically the same, I'd rather just give them the high dose C because then like the vitamin C they're getting nourishes the other cells. And it's really interesting because, you know, it sounds like, oh my goodness, it, it lyses the tumor cells. It must be like chemotherapy or something. I find almost universally that my patients with even with advanced cancers, when they get high dose vitamin C, they actually feel good. Like it makes them feel better. It's very unusual that it makes them feel worse. Like when you go and you get a chemotherapy that's toxic to cancer cells, most people feel terrible when these cells are dying off. But because the vitamin C is providing other benefits, you know, like to those other cells and to the immune system and such, people actually feel good when they get their high dose vitamin C. So I, I do combine it with ozone and I usually do it on a rotational basis. So we'll do high dose vitamin C for several weeks and then we'll take a break and we'll do a couple doses of ozone. And for those, I'm usually doing major autohemotherapy where we'll expose the blood to multiple passes of, of high dose ozone. Usually I'll try to do the, the multi-pass treatments anywhere between four and 10 passes, um, depending on the patient's constitution and how they do with the ozone. Because the ozone uh, has a similar mechanism, right? So it's oxidative stress, same idea. It's, you know, it's going to be anti-cancer as well as an immune stimulant to help your body eliminate cancer cells and support detox, all this good stuff. But it's a slightly different pathway. And if there's one thing we know about cancer cells, it's that they love to change. They mutate. They get used to something. They become resistant, right? Like they become, well, you used this, this chemo drug and it killed off, you know, this many cancer cells, but those 5% or 10% that were left behind are now resistant to it, which is where some other therapies that we use come into play. Yeah. I mean, how much easier is it for you if you get the rare client that comes in and says, you know, I have cancer, but I'm not doing chemo. I'm not doing the traditional standard of care stuff. I want your guys' stuff first versus someone that's been through the ringer. You're the last hope. So I really strongly believe in full options counseling for people to know what all their options are. And if they want to combine what I do with conventional chemotherapies or whatever, I'm totally down for that. I do I do love to see people when they're first diagnosed. It's definitely kind of like, you know, I'm patients who are more like a clean slate rather than when people have already been through, you know, a year of chemo, you know, months and months of chemotherapy or they're having a recurrence because those those patients are more difficult to treat because they've already been exposed to those drugs and the tumors have mutated and such. So for anyone out there who's listening, you know, getting in to see someone who does treat cancers in an integrated fashion up front, you know, before you, you start conventional therapy can be very, very useful because, you know, even if you know, well, I'm still going to do my radiation therapy. I'm going to still do my, you know, chemotherapy. These two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can do them together. 
And there's ways that we can make sure that those conventional therapies work better. As a matter of fact, there's a new a company that we're working with now that does some amazing testing along these lines called RGCC. Have you ever heard about them? Have you heard of RGCC? Yeah, you have mentioned it, but we can get more into the detail. That was my first sure. knowledge about it. Yeah, so RGCC, they used to, it used to be called the Greek test, although now the company is based in, in Switzerland. And basically what this is, it's a blood test where we draw off a, a couple of vials of blood and send it off to this lab, and they look for circulating tumor cells. So whenever an individual has cancer, there's always blood cells, oh, there's always tumor cells circulating around in the bloodstream with a few exceptions. So like superficial skin cancers like basal cell carcinoma, that's like a very superficial tumor. That one doesn't usually get into the bloodstream. Melanoma can and squamous cell can, but basal cell usually doesn't. And brain tumors. So brain tumors, tumors of the central nervous system often are not detectable in the blood because of the blood-brain barrier. Also, sometimes testicular cancers may not be detected, but especially the most common ones, things like breast and prostate, lung, GI cancers, these are all readily detected in the bloodstream. And then what they do is they separate out the actual number of, of circulating tumor cells, and they can give us a number like per ml, basically, of how many cells are circulating around. So we know the extent of the disease. And then they characterize the individual cells. They do genetic analysis of these cells to see what sort of genes are they expressing. And these genes will tell us all sorts of things like, well, is this a rapidly dividing tumor? Is this a tumor that is going to be able to detoxify chemotherapy really well? Is this a tumor that detoxifies oxidative stress well? Is this a tumor that's likely to be metastatic? Is this a tumor that's very rapidly dividing? So it'll give us an idea not only of prognosis, but like of some treatment strategies to consider. And then to me, the coolest thing they do is they take those cells and they put them into, basically put them into a petri dish and then they expose them to different chemotherapy agents. So they're like, oh, have some topotecan, have some cisplatin, have some 5-FU, you know, have, have some of this chemotherapy and see if it responds. So you can see with like the typical chemotherapeutic agents, whether or not your tumor is actually going to respond to what's considered, you know, a standard of cure therapy. And if it gets a good response, and they test it in a couple of different ways, you know, depending on the, the type of chemotherapy agent, and if it responds, okay, great, good. Okay, cool. Standard of care chemotherapy looks like it might be a good bet for you. But you know, if it gets if you have a breast cancer, let's say, and it gets no response to something like cisplatin, which is a typical, you know, platinum-based chemotherapy, and it gets no response, it's like, well, it's a platinum resistant tumor. And taking those therapies will be nothing but toxic for you and it's not gonna kill the cancer. So take a look at other therapies, you know, that maybe it is sensitive to. And use those instead, even if it's sometimes it's interesting and sometimes they'll test you and test all these other things that are not typical for that cancer, but they may respond, in which case using those other therapies would be a better choice. How much of a better choice? Like how much have you observed that this helps? Significantly. And I mean, I wouldn't speak with necessarily just my experience, but from their published data, their published data shows, you know, very good response rates. I, I can't quote you numbers right off the top of my head. Unfortunately, I'm not that well versed in their and research data, but it's impressive, like the actual clinical response rates that they get because they've done a good job of following their numbers over the years to actually demonstrate that you know if we're testing this way and we're actually treating this way, people actually respond better. Where you'll get a, a significantly improved response compared to just 
following standard of care. There are actually, I mean, even in mainstream oncology these days, there are some centers that will do testing that is similar to this, but not exactly the same. Because the other thing that RGCC does that's a, that's a little unique compared to what you would get in a conventional setting is they do the same sort of testing with natural substances. So if anyone has done, you know, some reading about anti-cancer, in, you know, integrated medicine, you'll know all sorts of natural substances have anti-tumor activity, things like, you know, quercetin even, resveratrol, extracts from sea cucumber, all sorts of things. And they do the same type of testing with those natural substances to see, well, oh, and they also test for high dose C, like they test vitamin C. Does vitamin C seem to affect this thing? Because even with high dose C, which sounds like a really great therapy, you know, response rates may only be around 80 to 80%. So that means like, well, 20% of people, you're going to try some vitamin, high dose vitamin C and it's not going to work. The tumor is just mm. not sensitive to it. Have you seen after someone's had chemo and or radiation and surgery, you know, do the number of things that would affect a given, you know, cancer tumor and metastasis goes down or is it just changed? Oh, it's a moving target for sure. So that's the other thing with this, with testing through a company like RGCC is that not only do we do a baseline and preferably it'd be great if we could do the baseline when you're chemo naive, if we could say that, you know, before you get any chemotherapy, you repeat the testing in the future to see what happens. So like you see, okay, you know, you went through your chemo, we went through, you know, okay, we did your high dose vitamin C and ozone and oh, you've been on your rotation of botanicals that we're using, et cetera, et cetera. Now we're six, eight months into the process. Let's see where you're at. First of all, did we lower the number of circulating tumor cells? You know, you started off with this number. Now we want to see it fall. We want to see that number come down. We want to look at the genes of the tumor again and see, well, is it still expressing those aggressive tumor markers? Is it still showing, you know, high levels of resistance or high level of metastasis? And you'll actually see those numbers change, like, and hopefully for the better, meaning like it's dividing less rapidly. It's going to be more sensitive to things, less likely to metastasize, et cetera. And we'll also rerun all those sensitivities to see what's it sensitive to now. Has it changed? Is there, is there a, better, a better substance we should be on? And this is actually one part of the evolution of, of my approach to treating cancer is the idea of rotation, because it used to be kind of like, well, I would I would read about things and know about things that seem to work for this type of tumor, seem to work for this kind of circumstance, and people would be on them for you know, fairly long periods of time. But really, it seems better if you rotate these, and depending on those markers and how fast and how resistant the tumor might be, sometimes you might rotate them like as often as months. So- you know, that is definitely something that has shifted for me over the years. Are there protocols that can drive cancer cells down a known pathway where they will be susceptible to certain other protocols? It's a really good question. I mean, there are definitely things we do that sensitize cancer cells. Yeah, you know, I don't do it, but I, you know, this is something I've been reading a lot about lately, and that's insulin sensitization therapy. So using insulin to actually help make tumor cells more sensitive to chemotherapy. A lot of the botanicals we use, in particular things like curcumin, resveratrol, some of those substances also, they make tumors more sensitive to chemo or radiation. Vitamin C does that too. Actually, the high dose C, it actually makes tumors more sensitive to oxidative stress. So it'll actually improve the outcomes of things like radiation therapy. So like people often think, oh, don't, don't. You don't want any antioxidants when you get radiation. You know, when you're going for XRT, they don't want you anywhere near vitamin C, right? <laughs> but if you give really high, no, they don't want you. To, they don't want you to get any help. Yeah. 
No, but like, because like, if they think, oh, if you take vitamin C, it's antioxidant and it's going to undo the effects of the radiation. But if you give high dose vitamin C, it actually improves the effect of the radiation. So, like, you, if you're going to go through with a potentially toxic procedure like radiation therapy or chemotherapy and toxic things, it makes sense that you would also give yourself the best chance of success. There's some very interesting things going on these days too with peptides and, you know, actually looking at people's individual genomic or oncogenomic, shall I say, profiles and what sort of proteins and other pathways are turned on as far as their tumor cells and then designing specific peptide regimens for those individual patients to help basically drive DNA transcription. It's fascinating. The other thing, that's another thing RGCC does is called the SOT, which is single oligonucleotide therapy. SOT is basically RNA and it interrupts DNA synthesis. And that's that's done based on individual person's tumor cells. In other words, they use your own cells to generate the SOT therapy. Like your SOT therapy is just for you, nobody else, for your tumor. Because when we're dealing with this, the individual expression, even if it's like, well, I've got, you know, a ductal carcinoma of the breast metastatic to the lymph nodes, you know, that the exact gene expression between two people with the same histological diagnosis could be different. Well, very good. What's the best place for people to find out more about your protocols and everything and, and connect with you? Well, the best place to look for us would be our website. That's www.miamibeachcwc.com. It's Miami Beach Comprehensive Wellness Center. And you can learn more about us there, see some more of our blog posts, check out our media, and of course, contact the office if you're interested in setting up a console. Excellent. Chris, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Richard, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be back at any time. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.